Hey everybody, it's Eric and this is The Hair Game. I have... Donovan is here also. So this episode is our first 10 episodes edited down into highlights. So we've been wanting to do one of these uh, highlight episodes uh, where we you know, take a big chunk. It's really difficult, I realize, to go into 10 episodes, listen to them all, and decide which, you know, two minute clip, which one minute clip, which four minute clip to cut. Yeah, there's so much good content. Uh, you know, we originally were gonna do a highlight episode of all 30, but uh, that was way too much. So even even 10, there's so much good content in there. That would have taken me a week to go through 30 episodes. So what did you think going back to listen to the first 10 episodes, listening to uh, to those? Yeah, you, you know, it's a good question. Uh, I didn't really think about it until I was actually listening, but there's especially the the first episode. I was so nervous. Okay. That my voice was was not comfortable to listen to. Um, I'm now much more comfortable. Uh, and really, I was saved by Andrew Does Hair on those first three episodes. Um, you know, he was our kind of first guinea pig on this, and he's a great guinea pig because he's just so good at you know spewing the wisdom. Right. And so when I was listening to those episodes, I was of course um, I was thinking how bad I was, but I was I was thinking more about how amazing the information was coming out of Andrew's mouth. Absolutely. And then having to distill it down into you know favorites was really difficult. It was kind of like my wedding. I didn't have I didn't I didn't have a wedding party okay. because I didn't want to have to take my friends and choose the five best. Okay. That's, like, they're all my friends, right? It's a, it's a good analogy. That's yeah. how I see these podcasts. Okay. They're all good. They're all valuable. If it's not valuable, we would have edited it out yeah. in the first place. But if you're a newer listener and you haven't had a chance to listen to all 30 of our podcasts, this is good for you to kind of get a, a bite-sized piece of those earlier ones, and maybe you want to go back and hear all of them. Right. Uh, but this would be really great for you. That, that's very true. And as we've grown and we've grown our audience, some of those first episodes have not gotten as many ears as the more recent episodes. So that's, a, that's another one of the reasons we want to do this. Hope you guys enjoy it. First up is Andrew Does Hair, who did our first, second, and third episodes. This is from uh, Joe Bruno, a uh, uh, barber here in the salon. Uh, and he asks, Andrew, you stated that, quote, if you are too busy and stressed at your current prices, you cannot afford to work at that price anymore, end quote. How do you make that jump and not worry about losing clients? Okay, that, I, when I read that, I was like, oh, I'm really excited to answer this. If you're too busy, you need to lose clients. That's why you raise your prices. You, you can't be, it's, it's business. You, don't, you can't be everybody's friend and just keep hooking them up when you're like pulling your hair out because you're so stressed. You need less clients. You know, at the end of a day where you've done so many haircuts that you go home just like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep for three days now. When your feet hurt, when you're tired, what are you thinking in the back of your head? I wish I had to do less haircuts. So you need to lose those clients. And it's what I always recommend to people is when you start raising your price and, prices and trimming off the clients, uh, have, have a, a side barber to send them to. Like have somebody you know and trust does good work and say, and what I say is not like, I don't go, hey, if you can't afford me now, go to this guy. What I say is, hey, what if... If the service I'm offering doesn't fit for you, I highly recommend Brian, or I highly recommend Dre, or I highly recommend whoever it is. Uh, so you don't need to feel bad, it's business. And like, exactly like you posed in the question here, you cannot afford 
to do as many haircuts as you've been doing if it's stressing you out because it's, it's taking your life out of you. It's taking your, the time out of your day. And you only, we all only have 24 hours in a day. So, so, so at what level um, sh should someone feel comfortable enough to raise prices? Is it 75% of their schedule is booked? Is it 90%? Is it 50%? Well, what would you say? Oh, geez. I, I've always done it when I get to the point where clients are leaving because of the wait. So if I have a two-week wait, people will wait that. If I have a six-week wait, I can hear people on the, well, when my receptionist would get the phone, I could hear people go, six weeks? No, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. So when you're losing people over the wait, you need to raise your prices to make the wait shorter. You need to raise your prices to lose some clients to make the wait shorter. And the other thing too is, a lot of people are afraid to raise their prices because they're like, oh, people aren't gonna tip as much or people are gonna think I'm too cool. Yeah. But when I raise, every time I raise my prices, my tips get bigger and people are more appreciative. And believe it or not, so I, I currently charge $100. And I, I used to charge $25 freaking six years ago. Sure. Some of my clients who are still with me who used to pay $25 are glad that they pay 100 now because now when they call for an appointment, they can get in at the end of the week. Where when I charged $30, they'd call and it was six weeks. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you get your diehard fan clients, they stick when your prices go up. And the ones who, and it's not that, it's not a personal thing. It's not like, oh, they, they think I'm too cool or I don't, I don't think they're cool enough. It's not that, it's business. It's like, like I said earlier, uh, I could do a, a one and a three, but it would be a ripoff because almost anybody can do a one and a three so you can get it done for cheaper. When the people want what only you can do, they'll pay what they have to pay to get it in a reasonable amount of time. And so there's like a sweet spot. If you go too expensive, you'll sit around and do nothing. And I've learned that the hard way. Uh, the first time I tried to go charge $100, I wasn't booked half the day. And I made less that day after paying my rent and paying travel fees to get into that salon. I made less that day than I would have made charging $30 at my old salon. So. Right. Okay, so Wes the Barber asks, is there any benefit to having a few different types of haircut services over just one? I've been thinking of offering an hour-long service for a higher price in addition to my standard 45-minute service at my regular price. The reason, is, the reason is I don't have enough time in 45 minutes to do everything I want to do service-wise, and an hour would allow me more time to fit the stuff in. Okay, so what I started doing right before I left my salon, I was, I was getting really, really busy and I would run late most days and it was stressing me out. And I started realizing that there were two specific instances that would cause me to run late. Well, three. One of them was clients showing up late, which I absolutely did not tolerate. If you were not in my chair at the moment of your appointment, you weren't getting a haircut that day, uh, which is, I feel bad saying because I got here 45 minutes late today. Uh, but uh, we, we were actually late too. <laughs> But what I would do with those clients is I'll reschedule them for as soon as possible, usually fit them, at the, fit them in at the end of the next day, but I, I couldn't allow myself to run late because of that. But the other thing I started noticing is if I needed to do a bald fade and a blow dry, I would run late. I couldn't fit it in my regular service. Or if I had a brand new client and they, I, I started to get to a point where every new client came in, they wanted like the full styling lesson, which I'm happy to give, but it would make me run late. I'd spend 15 minutes explaining how to use a blow dryer, so I'd run late. So what I started doing is I told my clients, you know, it's a half hour for 40 bucks or it's an hour for 80 bucks. If you want a bald fade or a design and a style, you book an hour. If you book a half hour and you ask for those things, no, you get a bald fade or a style. And same thing if you're a brand new client, uh, and my, my receptionist would ask people this, have you been to Andrew before? No, this is my first time. Okay, you have to book an hour the first time, which was great because then at that point I was too busy anyways, and it cut down my influx of new clients. And then when I did have a new client, I had more time to get to know them, more time to teach them how to style their hair. So I, I definitely think it's cool to have tiered services like that. 
Uh, one thing that I learned, I went into a pretty fancy salon one time and I paid $155 to get my hair cut just because I wanted to see what a $155 haircut looked like. And at that time I was charging 40. So while I was sitting in the salon, I noticed on their menu that the owner of the salon charged $800 for a haircut. And granted, maybe he did one a month or maybe he did 50 a month, I don't know. But what I knew is on that menu, there was something for $800 and I was about to get a service there. And it made me feel really cool. So after that, I, I added on my service, um, so even though like I, I book an hour for a hundred bucks, but if you want, well, how do I do it? If you want to text me for an appointment outside of the already available appointments, that's two hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Or if you want a house call, that's five hundred dollars. So sure. I have a five hundred dollar item on my price list, which nobody's ever bought, but it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> just to, just to say it, it's like yeah. when you go to Vegas and they have like the thousand dollar burger on the menu right. <laughs> that you have to like pre-book to eat. Right. Look good luck asks. What have you done to move forward in moments of self-doubt, especially about your abilities or place in the industry? Oh, that's tough. That's a good one. Uh, I guess when I've felt stuck, things that I've done is step back, uh, take a weekend and turn off my phone. Like I've literally left, I've left my phone in the glove box for three, of my car for like three days at a time just to disconnect and remember where I'm going and what I'm trying to do. Cause it's, it's crazy how sometimes the littlest things will get me hung up and I'll get in this like stupid loop that doesn't have an end to it. And so I have to like check out, I go to Disneyland alone. That's what I do. And I'll just like go to Disneyland leave my, my phone in the glove box. And six hours later, I, I come back to fresh ideas. The other thing too, is if I'm stuck, I'll try to do a haircut or a hairstyle that I don't think looks good. Like, let's just say you think mullets are ugly. If you're really stuck, try to do a mullet that looks good. What is the most essential element of a service? Cut, style, experience, and how does ADH incorporate these elements? It's actually, uh, that's a trick question. The, the answer is your expertise. It's what you know about hair. It's what you know about the trends. It's what you know about teaching the client, client education. Uh, I would say that the most important thing, the difference between a $20 haircut and a $100 haircut is if you go to somebody who's charging $100, more likely than not, they're an expert at hair. They can tell you how to change this or fix that. They can tell you what people in London are doing with their hair right now. Like they, it's that expertise, I think, is the most valuable part of what you offer. Because the thing is our clients look at hair for one hour a month, right before they get a haircut, they Google it. And maybe not even an hour, they look at it. For 10 minutes, they Google pictures of David Beckham. And that's as much as they think about hair. But we think about hair 24 hours a day. If I'm not cutting hair, I'm, I'm online reading about it or watching it. If I'm sitting in a movie theater, I'm not watching the movie, I'm judging everybody's haircut. So we develop, uh, it's, it's ex expertise, it's like experience. It's, we have a, a working understanding of hair and we act as sort of problem solvers. And so I would say that's the, uh, the most important part. Where do you see your business growing in three years? Education in as many forms as possible. So you're, you're going to uh, do education on different platforms? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to try to do a little bit of everything. More like private classes, more trade shows, probably online education. All kinds of anything I can do. Uh, it's like... I mentioned this earlier, but I, I used to get hung up on, do I want to help the consumer or do I want to help the professional? But the way I see it now is helping the professional helps the consumer. So I, I want to teach. I want to 
you know, I've been very fortunate in my career. I've, it doesn't even seem real, like the opportunities I've been given. And uh, it, it's the simple question, you know, how did you do that? Like, simple enough question, but I rack my brain trying to figure it out so I can give it to other people because I don't feel like I just, I, I, I do work hard, but I don't feel like I deserve half of what I've gotten. And so I want to like give it back to like, no, like I need to teach other people how to get them there. And on top of it, oh, I'll tell you this drives me crazy. This is why education. Every day on my Instagram, I guess I get a message from somebody saying, basically asking me a question that their barber could a answer better. But, and then I go, my, so my first, somebody will say, hey, how should I cut my hair? And they'll send me a selfie. And that cracks me up. It's always like shirtless guy in the bathroom. Hey, what should I do with my hair? <laughs> and whenever I get that, I always say, well, what's your barber say? And then he goes, well, my barber doesn't talk about stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, your clients are messaging guys like me to yeah. get what they should be getting from you. And so that's why I'm so bent on education because I can help that guy by getting, getting his barber mm -hmm. to do his job and, yeah. and to teach this guy and to, to uh, inspire, educate, and possibly even entertain the guy and be his, his one-stop source for all things hair so he can stop talking to strangers on the internet about his hair. Um, so how did you come up with H ADH Dry? Oh, this is a long one. I'll try the shortest version possible. <laughs> I used to use a product by Redken that I loved. And for years, it was literally the only hair product I used. This was back when everybody just had messy bedheads. So I didn't have a need for a pomade at the time. But I used this one product all the time. And then they discontinued it with no warning and no explanation. And so for like six months, I tried different products, couldn't find anything I liked. And uh, I was really depressed because it just nothing was magic like that project, product was. And then I found another product by Matrix called Beach Clay that was almost identical. Like I'd be willing to bet they were made in the same factory. And I started using that for a few years. And during that time, the slick looks and the pommies became popular. So I started using Layrite and Imperial and these other products. And, uh, and then that Beach Clay was discontinued and I had like no messy matte product anymore. It was all, all I had was pommies. So around that time, I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a chemist who had done makeup and lotion. And I went to them and I brought like my one last jar of this clay that I liked. And I said, can you make me something like this? And uh, so they made up uh, a couple sample jars and I tweaked it a little. I said, make it a little more matte, make it a little softer, make it not get as hard. And eventually when they had it right, I found a manufacturer and I only planned on selling it in my salon. In fact, the first batch came in unlabeled jars. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just going to sell it to my clients, but then people on Instagram are like, well, what are you using to style hair? So I eventually, after I sold the first batch, I hired a graphic artist guy to do labels. And then after I sold that batch, I, I got a website and I got legal stuff and trademarks. And next thing I knew, like my barber and my barber friends and hairstylist friends wanted to buy it from, from me at wholesale. And like, just slowly I fell into having this product line that I never dreamed to have. I just wanted to fill my need for the product that kept getting discontinued. And uh, today we have in the US about 200 resellers. In the UK we have, I don't even know how many, but like if, when I go to Ireland, the thing that blows me away is I'll walk into a random barber shop and I'm like, oh, there's my product. Like when we walked into that other shop in here and I was just like, oh, it's there. Yeah, yeah. But I never dreamed of that. Like I said, I don't set goals. I was never like, oh, I'm gonna have a product line one day. Mm -hmm. It just kind of happened. And like, I looked at, it was total baby steps. Like I would, I, I made the product because I needed it and then someone else asked for some and then someone else asked for some right. and I'm like okay natural. yeah and then eventually I got to the point where I was working full-time in the salon I was trying to start doing education I didn't have time to ship orders I would ship like one day a week and people were always mad that they're like mm -hmm. I ordered nine days ago and right. 
So, uh, so I, I finally hired a guy, my best friend David, and he runs the company and he turned it into a successful-ish business. Like, it, which the sad thing is now I have no idea what's going on with it. <laughs> like, I'll meet people and go, oh, have you heard of my product? And they're like, oh, I've been carrying it for a year. I'm like, that's, Ugh. Yeah, well, that's the inevitability. But, so that's, that's how that all happened. Jonathan McFerrin writes, Hi, Andrew. Where do you see the industry headed in the near future as it pertains to social media? Do you see Instagram continuing continuing to be the place people look for inspiration? Or do you think there's something else more hair-specific on the horizon? Well, I think Instagram is going to kill itself by all the advertising that it does now and by screwing up the order of the feed. That no, Nobody's a fan of that. Uh, I do think... I think Instagram will stay relevant for a long time as far as what I don't think will happen is I don't I think it'll be very rare for someone to get on Instagram now and then blow up. I, I think there's obviously probably guys out there who have the potential to do that and just haven't done it yet. But I think everybody like everybody's on Instagram now. So I don't think I don't I don't think somebody who's new to Instagram will have the same opportunity to blow up as easily as they could have if they got on five years ago. And uh I do also think that so for the future of, of hair and social media, everybody's going to do online education. Uh, that's you know you look at the fitness industry and everybody has like oh download my program and so I, I think that hair is going to go that way. But I will say, as that becomes more popular, it'll only make more valuable things like hands-on classes that you can't download. It's just like with music, um, everybody can download free music everywhere now. And so now you have giant concert festivals that are $700 for the weekend because they can't make money on music anymore. And so I think, I think online education is going to be the way of the future for hair, but I think it's going to make even more valuable sitting down and learning directly from somebody. Mm. Last question. And this is the most important one of all questions. Will the mullet ever come back to style? It's already back. Uh, no, real, realistically, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say this here and hope that some of you remember this in two to five years. Um, when it comes to trends, okay, with hair, everything that solves a problem creates another problem. So when somebody comes in and they go, I, I have a hard time styling my hair. If I take it really short, like his hair is on the sides, he doesn't have to style the sides of his hair. I just solved that problem. But the problem it creates is how often do you get your fade done? Every two awesome. or three weeks, right? where when he never had a fade, he didn't get his hair cut that often. And so it created another problem. So what we do is we trade problems with hair. What I've noticed about trends is this, every problem that the last trend created, the next trend solves. So everybody wanted really slick, tight, combed over hair with heavy pomades. But the problem that it created is I can't touch my hair. I can't run my fingers through my hair. Everybody wanted really high, tight fades. But the problem it created is my whole life, I got my hair cut every six weeks, but now I'm doing it every two weeks. So the next trend is going to be hair that you can touch that you don't have to cut every two weeks, but you're gonna cut every two months. And so picture like Han Solo or like Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Jeff Bridges in the That's 80s. Awesome. So everything's been so tight and clean. The antithesis to that is going to make a big fat comeback. It's doing it already. And I think we're gonna see hair in front of the ears a little bit. Um, I think to me, the coolest thing in the world is when you look at the front of somebody and you can see the hair in back from the front but not quite a mullet, not to where it's longer than the rest, but just where there's enough weight here that I can kind of see the hair poking out from behind the ears. Like, I think that's gonna be huge in the next, in the next two to five years, it'll be like mainstream status. Almost like the, uh, probably a cross between like the Leonardo DiCaprio in the 90s, all long and pushed back, but like heavy here and here. With photography, it's, 
more about the lighting than anything else. Like literally, you're recording light. You're recording light as it exists there. And it doesn't matter if you're using an iPhone or Android or phone source or, or a DSLR. It's all about the light. Like if if you have really nice lighting, you can make a photo look amazing with a phone. Not enough people take photography seriously. Yeah. And they don't. They're not intentional about it. They don't yeah. think about it enough. And that's what I like about you. Is something happens to you, you go out and read a book, right? And that's awesome. But most people, if things aren't working out really well, they just kind of like don't really think about it again. They, they try it to cut their hair. That's their answer for everything. And I need to do a better haircut. Seth Godin once wrote in his blog, and it was one of my favorite blog posts from him. He said, paraphrased, if you're the second best violinist in the world, practicing the violin isn't going to do you any good. But learning how to get a good recording and get a right marketing deal and, and get out there and promote yourself is what's going to make you successful. So that. it, that's and that's why. So when I read that, I realized like, okay, I don't if I could cut. And when I realized this, it was kind of a game changer for me. I could cut hair twice as good tomorrow than I do right now. Like let's say I got a magic pill and tomorrow I'm twice as good. How does it change my career? It doesn't. But if I could take a better photo. That's gonna help my career. Right. If I could, if I right now I need to learn how to do videos, so YouTubers just stop hating on me. <laughs> <laughs> so like, so that's why I started looking into photography. Is you you can. It doesn't matter what you do. It's what you do with what you do. So if you do the best haircuts ever and you're taking horrible pictures of them, people aren't going to soak it in. You're not going to share it with the world. It's about you know you're sugarcoating it. You're making it pretty. You're making it digestible. Right. Okay. The hairdresser in the salon. How much time should they allot to take a picture of their client? What I started noticing is, well, fourth reason I would run negative clients is I wanted to take their picture. If I got a client who looked particularly good or they had really cool hair, what I started doing is I told my wife, on Thursday nights, don't wait up. I'll be home when I'm home and you know, have yourself some dinner. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. So on Thursday nights, I would stay as late as I had to stay to do a haircut for a photo just because it was that important that I put out good work on my Instagram. And so granted, not everybody's trying to do what I'm trying to do with Instagram, but it's your portfolio. And when you meet a stranger and say, oh, I do hair, and they look at your Instagram, you want them to trust you, so you wanna have your best work on there. So what I'm getting at is make time to do the best photos you can. Uh, you can't, you can of course grab some here and there, like throughout your day. If I had a cancellation or a lunch break, I would spend a little bit of time getting a photo. The other thing too is the, the more you do it, the faster you can get it done. Mm -hmm. So doing these late Thursday nights will give you, it'll give you an idea like, okay, I know I like the light here and the reflector here. And so when you're in the salon, you can recreate it like in two seconds instead of figuring it out every time. The thing is when I started taking pictures of haircuts, I got better at haircuts. Uh, and I know this has happened to you. You do a fade where you're like, that's a good fade. And then when you go to take a picture of it, you look at the picture later and you go, oh my God. <laughs> And you see things you didn't see before. So I started to catch those things earlier and earlier after recognizing what it looks like through the lens of the camera. And it made me a better haircutter. It made me, it made me look at the shape of the haircut and the shade. And it made me really break it down like way more OCD, like ADD status. That's so interesting. So uh, I, I've also heard the excuse that um, they're a little nervous to ask their clients to take their pictures. Yeah. When you no, say that, I've I've had that. Uh, you know how awkward it is being. I remember this guy uh, Dan came in for a haircut one time, and he looked like Captain America, but like a little rougher. And I was like, oh, this is like a good-looking guy. And I was so nervous. I just met him, and I wanted to take his picture so bad. And I was like, 
And I just asked them. I mean, some people get weird. I, I, I've had clients who I've known for years just go, no, I don't, I don't want to be in Instagram. I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, so just ask. Uh, sure. the, the thing is, five years ago, it was kind of weird. Right. Now it's the norm. Totally. Now people are like, it's a compliment. They're like, oh, you think I'm good enough to go on your Instagram page? Cool. Yeah. And they're insulted if you don't ask yeah, them. Yeah, I, I've heard this from so many clients. Yeah, that they yeah, actually yeah, well, why don't I get on the page? Right. The other thing that the worst case scenario is I'll take a picture of somebody and then I don't post it because later I'll find like a hair out of place or something that I'm like, no, I can't use that. And the next time I see that client, they're like, oh, was, was my hair not good? Was my face too fat? I'm like, no. no I was like, no, literally. And I was telling them like there was a loose hair on her face and I just couldn't use it. That's so funny. Next up is Tab Cuts Hair, Tab Salzman in episode four. So what kind of turned us on to you was the interview that we did with Andrew Does Hair. And I asked Andrew, uh, who has been the greatest influence or what has been the greatest influence on, on your career? And he said, Tab Salzman. So what was it that, that, you, that you have from a business perspective that you were able to give Andrew that was so valuable? Well, so Andrew always says he credits me with uh, not, what was it? He told somebody at Barbarella, he's the reason I didn't quit haircutting. He's the reason. And I'm like, dude, you're giving me all this praise and I appreciate it. But at the end of the day, I just didn't want to, I saw a, fr a guy, a friend who I've, I mean, I taught him how to blow dry when he's in beauty school. You know, I've known him forever. And I was just a little bit further ahead in the game than he was in, in the industry. So I had a little bit more insight when he came out of beauty school. And I'd seen him have all this talent and he was thinking about quitting hair and just doing guitar making or something else and I was like why why and and the the struggle he had is that he thought his salon owner had told him you have to do color you right. have to do women's hair right. and I said well I think that's I don't I, I don't know really to custom this you can say bullshit it was bullshit <laughs> and I told him I go and when I was in school they said you, color was where you made all your money and I said I'd rather be happy and make ends meet than rich and miserable mm -hmm. um I never fell in love with doing color. I love seeing beautiful color. I love the people who love doing color. I'm just not one of those people. That's not my gig. I mm -hmm. like cutting. It mm -hmm. reminds me of architecture. It's just, you know, it's shape. A shape. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I would draw, I'd always draw a marker. So it's very similar to hair cutting. Once you, once you make that mark on the pen, the pen and the paper, good luck trying to erase it. Mm. Now we have extensions. You know, so mm -hmm. I could have, <laughs> I could, that could have come in handy right. a few times. Um, but I, I really sat with him, and he, he said, let's get tacos. So we got tacos. And if you read his ADH book, he talks like, can I buy you some tacos? Yeah, yeah. He talked about buying the tacos. <laughs> <laughs> tacos is like our joke, you right. know, taco time. <laughs> totally. Um, I was actually going to have tacos, but we <laughs> ran out of time, and I forgot. So imagine that there are tacos. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so the tacos thing is I asked him, I go, what are you trying to do? And it wasn't so much like I was trying to gear him into what I was doing or, or what I thought he needed to is that he had all the answers right there in front of him. He knew what he wanted to do, but he needed somebody to be like a Sherpa and like mm. pull it out of him. And what he was thinking, like, do I need, how do I need to do a better haircut? And the one thing I told him that I know for damn sure is there are a lot of successful, busy, financially successful hairdressers that are not technically good. Mm. They're not skilled. Mm. They could care less about classes. Mm -hmm. But what they have that I've seen with technically skilled hairdressers who are amazing, that are not making it as far as a paycheck, mm -hmm. they're not busy as in a salon, is they lack chairside manner. Mm. 
Mm. They lack the customer experience mm -hmm. and their presentation of how they show up to work. And right. showing up to work isn't like showing up in a monochromatic color like all black. I don't believe that. I, I, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. But that doesn't mean you're a professional. Being a professional is how you show up. Mm -hmm. But that means, are you on time? Right. What's your character like? Do mm -hmm. you care? Are you empathetic? Are you sympathetic? Do you, mm -hmm. are, are you a human person who recognizes another human person? Right. Do you use the two ears and the one brain and not your mouth when you're listening to what they have to say? Most people have a hard, hard time keeping their mouth shut and they always want to respond. Right. The act of listening is so much harder than the act of responding. Totally. And so it was really, for me, hearing what his, what, like, how do you show up to work? And he was charging, I think, 20 or 25 25 25 mm -hmm. And I said, why don't you charge, you know, more? And he was like, oh, I can't. And so I told him my own personal story. But I didn't tell him it was my own personal story. It was a, it's a, a thing I do when I'm out there teaching. And people are asking about how do you raise your prices or how do you go about it? And they say, oh, I, they're always looking for some reason to justify their price increase, right? Like, like right. all of a sudden they wake up. Oh, it's price increase day. Woo! Right. 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 Doesn't or, happen. Or I just went to a class oh. and now I feel like yep. I can Five dollars more. Five dollars yeah, yeah. more. See that? See that piece of paper? Right. Five dollars more. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I didn't. I don't subscribe to that. So, I, I said, let's say tomorrow. Let's say you're Andrew. All right. But you're not. You're Eric. So yeah. I'd be like Eric, yes. how much do you charge? Twenty-five dollars. Twenty-five dollars. Yeah. Tomorrow you're gonna charge fifty. Would you do anything different tomorrow than what you're doing today? And he started writing down all of these things. So I'd probably show up on time. I'd probably remember my client's name. I probably wouldn't wear shorts and a white T-shirt. I probably... He started writing all these things. He'd up his game. All those things that he knows... That he should be doing. Yeah. yeah. If he was charging more. And I said, the reason you're not going to charge $50 is because you don't do these things. You don't charge the price and then do these things. You do these things to charge the price. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I think like the taco fell out of his mouth. <laughs> the salsa got the place. But I think that really hit him hard. Yeah. Is It's not about, it, I mean, the technique and skill level definitely plays a part of retention. Like if you don't listen and you, do, and you don't have the skills to back it up, like people are going to slowly find out that you're not good. Mm -hmm. But if you're a decent hairdresser, and you're a better listener, and you're better with your chair side manner, you have a much greater potential for longevity. Seeing that, I had friends I went to beauty school with who were killing it, making lots of money behind the chair. And they were not technically skilled. I mean, I always joked around, I was over-trained in more areas than all of my peers, but I was also under-trained in other areas. Mm. What happened for me is when I left Tony and Guy, uh, and I went up to LA, I went from charging $60 literally overnight to charge you 120 at wow. the Beverly Hills Salon. Wow. So when I told him, would you do anything differently? I lived that moment. Yeah, sure. So what did I do right? What did I do wrong? All those things. I lived literally overnight charging 120. Now I had a great background, cutting education, but what I learned through like, what is the phrase, baptism through fire? Yeah. I learned what it takes to quantify that extra $60. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the haircut. Yeah. It was everything else. And not that I was like great at all of it or was bad at all of it. There was stuff that came more natural. There was stuff that did not come natural. Yep. You know, like waking up early to get right. there on time. That, right. That's not a natural thing. I like to, you know, so, I wanted to stay up late. I was living in L.A. I was right. like 22. You were staying out late. Yeah. 
and all those things that, that, that we like do. to do. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about those details. So showing up on time, huge, yeah. right? That so few people do sometimes. Guilty of it I, I, all the time. I yeah. mean, I, now I have a, a three-month-old baby, you know? So that, that, that stops me. But, I, it, you know, I think that's something I personally struggle with even to this day. Yeah. Do I show up on time? I try to do my best every single day. Right. Uh, but it's, it's the one thing I would be absolutely transparent on. That's the one pillar of the principles that I talked to Andrew about that I know I'm, I, need, I always need to work on. So showing up on time, yeah. w- w- what else? Like being there, being, receptive being, to your client? Being present. Being present mentally, mentally, emotionally. Everything. Whatever happened leaves when you enter that salon. Right. You know, one thing that I hear, I'm going to interject quickly. Please. You know, for 17 years that, that I've been in this industry, one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing is yeah. talking to clients out there. And over 17 years, I've probably spoken to a 1,000 uh, just people who are clients. They get mm-hmm. their hair done. And so I ask them, where do you go? You know, uh, what salon do you go to? Who do you see? How yeah. much do you pay? How often do you go? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? You know, how often do you switch hairstylists? And something that I hear all the time is, you know, I, I left this hairdresser. She did a good job, but she was always so negative. I would get in their chair, and I would get in her chair, and she would start just um, telling me all these horrible things about her boyfriend or about, you know, this was happening in her life and she wasn't making enough money and this was mm-hmm. horrible or her pet just died. And she would just vent the whole time, and, and, and so I had to go somewhere else. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's an example. Not bedside manners, right? No. No, the chairside manner is, is, is doing that, is, is not doing that. It's, right. it's keeping that at the door. Right. Um, the other thing is, particularly with a new client, and this is what I would always hear, is the new client that comes in your chair, they'd say, oh, the hairdresser who was doing my hair was really good, but the first two times. And then after yeah. that, they started slacking off. Totally. So one of the things I told Andrew is that you're only as good as your last haircut. It's mm-hmm. not like the last haircut of the day. And this could go for blow, dry, color, whatever it is, whatever you do. It's just that that last service with that person is, your, is their memory with you. Right. You know, how many times have you gone to a restaurant that you love? Mm-hmm. And they just want, all it takes is one time that they're not on their game. Right. You start questioning, do I want to come here again? Right. Especially if you're spending a lot of money. Right. And you're spending a lot of money, and you're spending a lot of time with somebody. Right. So do you want to value your time and your money with that particular person? Right. So when they tell you that, that's a huge clue that they, they're on it. They're watching you. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so to keep that level high. Keep that level high. Every time they come in, you should be, ask, you should be talking to them like you've never had a consultation with them. Right. The, the second and third consultations are, have different questions to begin the conversation. Like, how did you like the last service? How did it grow out? Did it get mm-hmm. brassy? Did this, you know, mm-hmm. those are different questions, but you still need to have that same like focus and right. and really zeroing in. Are you doing the best you can for that client? Right. And if you're not, can you change that to make that experience better? Right. And I don't think we're ever perfect 100 percent of the time, mm-hmm. but I think you got to clue in. Got to clue in with that, like and be gotta, conscious about it. Yeah. Right. And, and don't go on cruise control. Never. Yeah. You, you know, the go. formula's in, in the book, and you, you think she's going to want the same formula over and over, and you've got it nailed, but maybe she wants something different. That happened to me. I did a haircut on a regular client, and then it came to blow-dry her hair, and she said, oh, by the way, you know, Tab, I don't part my hair here anymore. 
I flipped it to the, this side, <laughs> and I had cut the whole haircut <laughs> to this side. <laughs> so what did I learn? I look at every time you make a mistake, it's only a mistake and a failure if you don't realize there's an education sure. involvement. Like, did you learn from that? I did. So what did I learn? Have you, where do you part your hair? Yeah, yeah. Are you still parting at the same spot? Right. Do you change it? The consultation. The consultation. Yeah. The consultation can alleviate so many bad services yeah. and, and bad results if you take the time. This is Mikey Tease who gave me a cut on video and audio live. So what do you do to, um, to kind of boost your sales to your clients? Well, I always give my clients the best recommendation for products to tailor to their scalp or their style. So every time I use products, I just put it out in front of the desk, I'll put it right there. And while I'm putting it in their hair, I'm saying, hey, you know, while I'm doing your hair, I'm just going to leave a few of the products out that I'm using for you because I feel that you're going to need these at home. Yeah. And I always tell them, I don't sell for money, I sell for recommendations. That's like, nice. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. a good, uh, good soundbite. And I like to always recommend the best stuff, not the most stuff. Mm. So, you know, if there's three products out there and they have a budget, I'm like, you know, these, I'll use these on you. But if you're going to have to take one home, you're going to need this. You know, I always recommend like the best. Yeah. So whatever I feel like they really need, whether it's moisture, all right, you know what, you won't need the texture cream, just just take the leave-in conditioner. Mm -hmm. You know, if it, you know, vice versa. If you really want texture, take this. You don't need the leave-in conditioner too much. Get my shave action going. You want to hear okay. a little crazy story that happened? Of course. So this is why I use conditioner. One time I was working at Floyd's, okay. you know, and uh, the barber there, um, his name's Eric, he actually owns a shop on Sun. That's a really great name. Right, Eric? No, I love that name. Always <laughs> cool people that I meet named Eric, right? <laughs> He taught me pretty much everything I know today. He has his own place now in Sunset in Highland, Sawyer Open Barbershop. That place is such a cool little spot, and you know, nice. he's doing really good, and he taught me a lot of everything I know, so I just followed him, you know, and so one day I was watching him, and he used the hot foam, you know, that they have for the shaves. Okay. He put a hot foam on there, and you can't really see through the foam. It's kind of thick. Yeah. So... I'm, I'm sitting next to him at the station, you know, doing hair, and all, yeah. all I hear is, oh, man, hey, you okay? And I just was like, I looked around, I'm like, what happened? And then the towels were white. So all you could yeah. see was just red ah, dripping down gross. into the white towel. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, dude, I just cut off your mole. He slit oh, his mole, bro, right <laughs> off his neck. That's disgusting. Because he couldn't see it through the right. white foam. Right. So ever since then, dude, I just started do using the Smart. conditioner. You can see through it, it's yeah. moisturizing, you know, it's a nice Good shape. advice. Yeah. Next up is social media tips from lots of influencers uh, recorded at the Lookbook uh, 2017. So for those who are uh, maybe not so good at social media, uh, but want to get better at social media, uh, what would you tell them? End of the day, it's a marketing thing. Like you don't go to, you don't see a billboard that looks like trash compared to something in high def. Like you yeah. want to make sure, sure yours looks aesthetic, well put together, thought out, professional. Put and you got to know your market. And you got to know your market. Don't make it a hair page and then there's a thousand selfies. You yeah. know what I mean? Throw selfie here and there, you know, promote yourself as a, a personal brand, but also promote what you're doing and what right. you're trying to do. And no cats, right? No, Stop posting no. your cats. Find someone that inspires you. Like I found people that inspired me and I ended up working with them and now I can gladly call them my friends. Even if it's on Instagram, somebody that you look up to, that you respect as a person, as a hairdresser, you love their style, you love their art, more than likely they're so willing to connect with you, just reach out. 
um, social media is very important. So I'll be doing hashtags, the area. If they're like in uh, Pomona, Chino, Chino Hills, you want to hashtag the city you're in mm -hmm. and pretty much haircuts and stuff like that. So when you do lose clients, you're getting new clients in. So you're not losing anybody at all. Right. And buy a, buy a professional camera. Invest in a camera. I do need to invest in a good camera. If you don't give yourself the justice you deserve, all you're going to look like is someone else who just posts pictures online. And, right. And you might never progress that next level. I bought a camera, everything took off. Take a little bit more time and, and take good, clean pictures of, of your work because because nowadays portfolios are online on your Instagram, on your social media. It doesn't matter the number that you have on your social media. You can have a million followers or you can have a thousand, a hundred. Um, but you actually have to make those personal connections. So for me personally, when I go on Instagram now, I'm not just scrolling through and liking stuff. I'm actually commenting. I'm reaching right. out. I'm like, hey, are you in LA right now? A good haircut necessarily is maybe like 10% of the actual whole image. I would say concentrate on your brand who you are, uh, your 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 voice, what you want to say. That's what people want to relate to. Don't ever get too comfortable. Hair is all about change. A year from now, it could be all long haircuts. If you don't know how to cut long haircuts, you're, you're done for. You have to be very versatile. If you think you know everything and you think you're the best, then you should retire. Because for me, I'm not the best. I don't think I know everything. I'm always trying to get better. I'm always trying to learn look to other people for inspiration. So I think uh, just keep moving in that path. Look to others. Don't be closed-minded, be open-minded. Next we have Nina Kovner. This one particularly was difficult to cut out the, the best clips because the whole damn thing was just so good. What do clients do every day online? And um, it really comes down to four things. It, it starts with intent. I mean, we do this every day. I, I just got four packages. This morning, I, I got a little over like shopaholic the last <laughs> Amazon week. packages and all of a sudden all these packages and then I start <laughs> feeling like weird at the front desk when I pick them up because I'm like, can you just see that I went on some crazy ass shopping spree? <laughs> anyway, we all do it. We all do it. So it begins with intent. I want something, right? So it could be a new lipstick. It could be a t-shirt. It could be a book, whatever. It doesn't matter. Groceries, a, a hair appointment, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I, I, I intent, I want something. And so now I'm going to go search for it, right? So we have so many different search options in 2017. Mm -hmm. Ch search has changed just in the last six months. It yep. changed, changes like every day. Right. The iOS 11 update, Siri just got smarter. Yeah. So, I mean, search is saying, I love her. <laughs> she and I have a little kind of weird relationship sometimes. Okay. But sometimes she, we, anyways, <laughs> I mess with her just for fun, but... So, so search, it could be search, traditional search. It's so funny to call Google traditional search, but yeah. it really is. Yeah, it is. You know, search engine search. It could be search on Facebook. It could be search on Instagram, search via Twitter, mobile search, Yelp search, Siri, Alexa. I mean, look at what fucking Alexa. Yeah. I mean, that Echo. is nuts with yep. the Echo thing and all that. Mm -hmm. So, so there's so many ways to search. So, so the next step is you find something, right? You go on this search for something and and you find it um what, what i call discovery and um that's really where I, one of the first workshops that that i ever did when i started passion squared was are you there salon it's me client and if, if if there's any old folks watching this there was a big book when i was young by judy bloom are you there god it's me margaret it was like mm -hmm. a coming of age story for for young girls 
And so I, that was the inspiration behind that. But anyways, it was all about discovery. It was all about search and discovery. So again, back then, not everyone kind of clicked it together. And still today, people still are not entirely sure what it means. And so that's why I have a business, right? Yeah, that's right. why I have a company yeah. and, and, and a job is mm -hmm. because I can help so many people with understanding this and then turning that into obviously a, a business driver for them. So in the discovery phase, can I find you? Right. So are you discoverable, mm -hmm. whether it be via Google, via Yelp, via Facebook, Instagram, whatever, are you discoverable where your target audience, your clients, your tribe, your people, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. where they're looking, mm -hmm. are you there? And if you are there, if you make it easy for me to discover you, when I find you, am I going to be inspired to take an action with you? And this is what uh, Brian Solis calls a moment of truth. Ultimately, I'm either going to be inspired to click or swipe left or right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be inspired to hit the follow button or not. I'm going to be inspired to text you for an appointment or go to your online booking platform or call you or whatever. Take mm -hmm. some sort of action. Subscribe, buy, right. book, call. Yeah. So where I see tremendous opportunity over and over and over again is the fact that designing that journey for yourself as a small business is critical and understanding and that's just getting them to the business then there's the whole other sure. experience right. that happens you know once an appointment's booked and the technology yep. that you're using for confirmation you know yep. all that shit and then what i was talking about actually this morning on my facebook live was the offline experience because there is so much emphasis being put online or emphasis on Instagram and attracting all this new business. And there's a re I'm seeing a retention problem. Mm. And I think that for some people that were raised up in the social age, there's so much focus on online, but not a lot of polishing on the, how do you actually deal with the fucking client when they come in? Right. We're in the listening business. <laughs> and we are collectively not the best listeners because yeah. we're like dip, 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 dip. right oftentimes just waiting to talk <laughs> right instead of listening to the words it's amazing what we can learn when we listen and mm -hmm. this is online as well as offline and you know when I, I talk about when i'm coaching my clients on brand development and strategy a big part of that is who's your audience what do they value what are their problems well how do i figure that out just fucking listen to them mm -hmm. they're telling you every second of what their problems are. What I'm also finding as this kind of so these social businesses are being built, very different than, you know, the old the old days. And we're building these clientele online, lots of independents, as you know, um, that are using something like Square to book appointments and generate and payment process. Mm -hmm. There's a huge thing missing, and that's called knowing what's going on in your business. What's your client retention? What's your pre-book percentage? These are indicators of awesome experience or not so awesome experience. What's your follow-up? Are you doing thank you notes? Are you doing post-experience phone calls um, or, or whatever? Mm -hmm. So th there's, a, there's a chunk of post-experience that, that unless we have that intel, we may find that we're constantly taking new clients. And as you know, you're a smart businessman. That's not how you build a business. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a road to nowhere mm -hmm. and uh, strong brands, strong businesses are, are built on loyalty, existing clients, and of course, you know, new clients as they come in.
A lot of hairdressers who uh, are successful, they feel successful, they have a full book, uh, going out six weeks, they've got a lot of clients who really like them, they've garnered a little bit of attention on social media, uh, a few people are like, oh, you should do more. Um, they want to monetize further what they have. What ways are there for them to do that? Good question, especially right now. I'm, I, I'm not surprised that, that you're getting those questions. Uh, and, you know, I, I have to kind of put a disclaimer on this. Everyone's situation is different. Of course. So I, I'm not a big fan of generalizing. And I've actually, I wrote a blog about it, the danger of, danger of good advice. Uh, because it's not always good. So this is not advice to you guys individually. Yeah. This is something to think about to get, give a little bit of framework and, and context to it. So, so first you have to figure out what you, what you, what, what are you good at? What do you love? What are you passionate about? Cause I think it's different for everybody. And some people are really into, um, pe people want to become educators, right? Some people are really creative and come up with really interesting product ideas. Uh, some people are really amazing content creators and can become influencers and turn that into a shit ton of money. Uh, however, one of the biggest mistakes that, that I've seen made, and again, this is long before social, and the book classic, E-Myth, the E-Myth talks about it, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean mm -hmm. you can do another. So if you're thinking about this, grab the E-Myth first. So, That's so a book. The E-Myth is the a book. The E-Myth okay. is a book, yeah. And it talks about this entrepreneurial myth that I'm a great hairdresser so I can be a great salon owner. Totally. Yeah. I'm a great hairdresser. That <laughs> means I can be a great educator. I'm a great hairdresser. That means I can be a business coach. Um, we see that a lot. Um, I'm a social media expert because I built my own social media page. That doesn't make you an expert. Mm -hmm. It makes you good at building your page. Um, so it's really important to kind of gain clarity on what, what, what do you want to do and, and how are you going to do that when you have, are, are you going to keep your full clientele? Do you need your full clientele? Because we can only focus on one thing at a time. So what is that, the impact that that's going to have on your current business? Mm -hmm. What, what's the plan for that? Are do you willing to cannibalize that for, for this over here? Just, just because of time, if nothing else. Right. Now, of course, if you decide that you want to, if you're an independent, you decide that you want to build up your assistant and start building your assistant with your existing clients and reduce your days to two days a week and put three days or four days a week into your new project, that's great. That's not how I see it though. The way that I see it is it looks so darn easy to create a business, to monetize, to create revenue, that people just start doing shit and next thing you know it, you're like, what happened to my clientele? Mm. And so and you're doing this like shit over here because you haven't really focused yeah. on it and, and you're losing your, fast. Everything's, the everything's foundation fast. of what you do, you know, and, yeah. and you're going in different directions. And even with the influencer, influencer, whatever you want to call it, um, that has its, its, its struggles too. Cause while you're not literally creating a new business, you kind of are because you've become almost like a full-time content creator, mm -hmm. depending on your contracts. Mm -hmm. And uh, what can happen is that, again, you're putting so much energy here, it begins to feel like work. And then it's no fun anymore. Mm. Or you are disillusioned by these brand partnerships that you've made that aren't so pretty when you peek behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. um, or you're not following the rules. I just I post about this all the time. And the FTC nabs you and you get sued. Yes. As this kind of Instagram 
explosion happened over the last handful of years, we saw a bunch of these independent educators, mm. which ironically are now so not independent because they've all partnered with brands. Right. <laughs> because that's where the money is. Right? I want to stay away from brands. I'm independent. Right. Fuck brands. And then it's right. like, wait a minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fuck brands. <laughs> right. They're giving you five grand a month right. <laughs> to pitch their shit on your right. Instagram. So more power to you. Get your money. Yeah. Get your money. Right. But anyway, so education. So this big kind of explosion of this independent education, anyone can be an educator. I love that. I love that the internet has democratized this and given these opportunities to people. I think mm -hmm. it's fabulous. Yeah. However, just like any business or any trends or anything, the quality, the cream rises to the top. Right. Next, we have Don't Fear the Retail, our eighth episode. And this is with a, a grouping of hairdressers uh, from Salon Republic that do so well selling retail. There are three important points to introduce retail to your client. One is at consultation. This is when we will discuss hair type and what is best for them. Two is at the shampoo bowl. I will actually use the, sh the product on the client. They can smell it, love it, want it. Three would be right before styling. They want to be able to recreate the style that you're going to give them at home and that's the best time to show them what to use for that. I feel like it's kind of a constant conversation. Um, every time I put a product in my hand to put on their hair, I always show them the product. I let them feel it in their hands um, and explain how it's being used and why it's being used. We are all consumers. so. Uh, I think of myself as I'm buying something. I like to touch things, feel things, smell things, and um, just the instant gratification, feel the instant gratification of like what the product can do for me. The best ways I've found to sell product are to not sell product. <laughs> um, really, you know, all we're doing is we're um, educating our clients about um, how they can either like recreate their look at home or just ways to make their life easier. Styling at the end of service is usually when I kind of pitch the product. So when I start styling the hair, I'm like, okay, this is how I use this product. This is what I'm putting in your hair today. And I will show them how I style and how I'm using that particular product. I like to display my product where the stylist can see it within reaching distance and eye level. I always have uh, station products set up. I like them for the convenience of use for myself um, and also clients like to see what's being used on their hair. And then I also um, set up a whole display center. I do have a, quite a few favorites of mine that I um, have a small display in our second room. Um, but I do have one of each item backed up just in case uh, someone wants to purchase them at the, on the spot, so they are available. But Salon Republic did this amazing thing for us that has this awesome um, um, retail space up front available for us. So if I am missing an item, I'll just run up front and the girls up front help me. And you know, that's interesting actually to have the display of retail because it actually draws in people that aren't current clients. And so um, sometimes I have people come in and buy product and then they become clients. I want them to come in and have a great experience with me. I want them to leave with a product and I want them to pick up that product every day and think about Sophia. And not, you know, when they need that product again, when they run out, they're going to think of me 
and come to my salon and grab the product, not jump on the internet and go to Amazon and pick something up. They're gonna, it, it locks that in their brain. It, um, it just builds the bond, it builds the relationship. And I think that that's really important when it comes to retail. It's a disservice not to retail to your clients. Um, it's really, it's all about education. And so that's why it's nice to talk about the products just as the appointment's going on. It's an easy thing. It doesn't have to be complicated. Try to practice gaining the trust of your client and getting your product knowledge up and knowing what you're selling and how it can deliver results at home that can help you sell anything, but you just have to believe in what you're selling. Retail is kind of an extension of my service. I think that if I'm doing your hair, that um, it's important that you're able to go and look good outside of the salon. If you just look good when you leave here and then can't style your hair later, then I didn't do a good job. It's about trust, you know, when your clients are willing to buy three and five products every time they come in, um, you know, you, you know that they trust you as a hairstylist, you know that um, they trust you with their hair. And that's really what we want, you know, we want our, our um, clients, our guests to, to have the full and complete faith in us to do right by their hair. Next up in episode nine is Amber O'Hara, founder of Business of Balayage. Okay, yeah, that... so not a surprise. So um, I think it was, you know, a case of us growing too quickly, yes. not knowing what operations looked like. And again, right. I, I don't have a business background. I've sure. been doing hair. I dropped out of high school at 16 and started doing hair. Wow. So um, with no business background, besides growing up with my dad, who's an entrepreneur, um, I didn't know that that piece was missing. So um, that created a lot of stress, um, but it really, again, got us positioned in the market where people are paying attention. They know to go to the business of Balayage because they trust the name, they trust mm -hmm. the brand, they know what they're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, the curriculums that we've created are so strong that anybody really can teach them. Yeah. They can train anybody to teach them. Okay. So it's a nice like foundational curriculum. Yes. The backfire to that is when you get a hairdresser who's very experienced and super creative and they're tied down to this curriculum, they're not loving it. Okay. So it creates a whole nother issue yep. with um, education. So, right. yeah. so, so you're, so this is, this is you transitioning from the person doing it mm -hmm. to, the, to the person managing it. Yes. Right? yes. Which is a very difficult transition. Mm -hmm. And um, anyone who's trying to scale what they're doing mm. undergoes the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, it, and same thing happened at Salon Republic. You yeah. know, I, I managed, I, I did everything for... Yeah. Uh, for the salon, the first salon in Studio City in wow. 2000. I worked there every day, yeah. I, you know, from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. I, wow. I did, I did, every, I did ele did. electrical work. Yeah. I laid yeah. tile. Wow. You know, I did all these things. And, and then, of course, um, y you know, you do it for long enough and you realize, well, I'm not very good at these things. Mm -hmm. And to improve and to grow, um, I need to become more of a, a manager. Yes. I need to be smart. And so then you transition into a role where you need to find the best people, mm -hmm. right? Hire mm -hmm. the best people, which mm -hmm. is a skill in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You need to train them, which yep. is a skill in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And you need to hold them accountable, which is a skill in and of itself. Yeah. So you're doing that with mm -hmm. business. You're trying to learn how to yes, do that with business exactly. balayage. Exactly. And so you need to transition into that kind of person mm -hmm. versus the person who does it exactly the way you want it done in the classroom. Yes, yes. How many assistants would you say you've had to let go? 
out of the, the total that you've hired? Only a couple. I had one that um, I used to share an assistant, and um, it was when the economy was down, right? And it yeah. was like I was happy to just have one client in my chair. <laughs> right. So um, I would share an assistant with the woman that worked next to me, and um, we were sharing this assistant, and I wasn't a big fan of her, and she would just cry every time I would say like hey, like, can you cut me some foils? And she'd cry, you always <laughs> tell me what to do. I'm like, well, I am your boss. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And okay. um, she, you know, came in one night. Oh, no, she called one night because she had been out all, dancing all night long and the bottoms yeah. of her feet were bruised. Of so course. she couldn't come to work. She can't work. Can't work. Right. How do you, how do you work when you dance all night? And you personally crush it yeah. on oh, social media. Thank so, you. like, what are some, what are some so, pointers? Some good pointers. Um, for the last few years, um, when, because I'm the one that ran the Business of Balayage Instagram account for the first couple of years, and it was video content. So video content, don't be afraid to give up your information. Give it away. There's always going to be more. If you're learning and changing and evolving, I'm always going to have something else to teach. Mm -hmm. I never have to be afraid of giving it away. Don't so, covet don't the, the, don't cover the information. information. Don't yeah. Throw it out there. Give give more value. Even right? once you have the information, you're gonna implement it differently than I would have. So right. I mean, why wouldn't I give it away? So video content's huge. Um, knowing who your market is. Mm -hmm. So now I, in the last few months, spent more time on my personal page, which I used to kind of just ignore. Mm -hmm. But um, as I burn build my personal brand um, in the salon and all that stuff, I've been spending more time there and. I have like a unique thing that I'm trying to do where I'm trying to speak to the client mm -hmm. and let them know what their experience is going to be like at the salon. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to speak to the future hairdresser that might want to come work at my salon. Right. So kind of put out there yep. what they would be attracted to. Mm -hmm. um, and to a hairdresser that's experienced that might want to come take a class. So I have like these mm -hmm. three people that I that's like. That's tricky. It's a little tricky. So the content planning, um, that's kind of what I think of when I'm like planning my content. What would be a value? And what I really more than anything like to think about is if it's going to be valuable and I feel like it's going to help some somebody, I'll put it out there. Mm -hmm. If it's, you know, weird or like a lot, I see a lot of weird, passive aggressive, negative, yeah. even the funny memes towards your clients. And yeah. That doesn't make me feel valued. Right. So like I wouldn't want to put that on my page for my client to right. see, you know. Right. So um, I think keeping those things in mind are huge when just planning what you're going to post. And good images with good lighting. Right. So. And, and, and so many people don't, don't make the effort in order yes. to do that. And we've had um, in the last few weeks people that will call because we're, you know, so we're advertising on Yelp, we're doing social media ads, you know, we're doing all this stuff, and so they'll call, and we're, okay, great, we can book you with Kim. Yeah. Okay, well, what's Kim's Instagram handle? Right. They want to know. They want to know. Yeah, they want to know. Yeah. So I think that's a perfect example of how important it actually is. Yeah. I used it as a way to train my clientele, to tell them about their experience. So that was kind of the last few years how I'd been using my social media. I love Joanne. I love that she shows up early. She loves switching her hair up. She pre-books. She's a great client. And then my clients see that and they're like, oh. Interesting. That's what Amber loves in a client. Yeah. And it kind of, it is a great way to train your clients. Both mm. of my parents are entrepreneurs. Mm. My, my dad had a uh, real estate business. Oh, wow. He worked for a large real estate business but started his own okay. um, as he was working for the large one. 
and within a couple of years was making more money on his own mm -hmm. than he was working for the company. So then wow. he quit and he did his own. Wow. So I saw him doing his own growing mm -hmm. up from a young age, um, you know, hustling in the house. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have an office out of the house. Mm -hmm. He had an office in, in the house. Mm -hmm. So I saw him doing it. Mm -hmm. And I saw the stress and the pain and the mm -hmm. blood, sweat and tears. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I also saw the freedom that mm -hmm. it afforded. Mm -hmm. I also saw the money that it afforded. Mm -hmm. And so that to me was just visceral DNA shit. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, that's what you do. Yeah. It, it wasn't what a lot of people, people experience where their parents leave in the morning yes. and then they come home at night, mm -hmm. right? And so you're like, what did mom or dad do all yeah. day? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. All I know yeah. is that there's food, yeah. you know, yeah, it's yeah, dinner exactly. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, so I saw my dad working at home, yeah. and, and so I had the benefit of, of seeing the process, mm. right, as yeah. a little kid. Yeah. And, and my mom also worked out of the house. She was an artist, so oh, she wow. had the other side of her brain yeah. going. And um, so she was extremely artistic. She mm. was an oil painter, mm -hmm. and I saw her creating, mm -hmm. and kind of the pain and, and awkwardness of the creative pro process mm. <clears throat> with the success after you actually do something mm -hmm. and um, you know accomplish a really great piece and mm -hmm. then you sell it and I saw her her business mind where um, where it actually allowed her to sell it mm -hmm. and so this this was my upbringing and so I I went to college because I, I am like that generation who yeah. you know coming from poor people who made it um, it, I would be a failure if I didn't make it. Mm -hmm. Like, how mm -hmm. can I not make it yeah. given what they went through yeah. in order to give me that platform on which to grow? Mm -hmm. And so, frankly, I mean, a lot of what I do um, is simply to avoid the guilt mm. of, of failing, mm -hmm. um, knowing that, that they did what they did to, to give me that platform. And last up, we have episode 10, where I did some street-style interviews at the Salon Republic holiday party. Okay, so for those hairdressers who might be new and they want to, they aspire to having their own studio or salon, what would you say to them? Ask people who have already done it and it'll inspire you. Um, definitely get advice from them and see like how they got to where they were to get their own studio and make that a goal. You know, like set a goal for yourself. How long do you want it to take? We're talking six months, one year, three years, but be realistic and start to move towards that. You shouldn't have to pay for your room. You should be able to let your room make its own money. So make sure you have a lot of renters. I have a Sunday renter. I have an evening renter. It's it's all taken care of. Work on your Instagram and like get your your clientele that way. I think it's so easy now. Yes. Learn from other hairdressers that have been in the industry longer than you before jumping ship on your own. Find a mentor. Um, always stay around people who are inspiring you. Be a good person and your business will grow and your clientele will stay with you and eventually you can own your own business. The good person thing, that one's huge. Be careful about getting attitude about your, your life. Don't get attitude, yeah. right? <laughs> Attitude's bad. No. Unless it's a good attitude. Well, the, yeah, that's true. Right. If you provide a, a, a good environment, clients will come and they'll really like the personal care and, and attention that you can give them in a Salon Republic studio. It's, it changed my life. It freed me up. I also do session work and I freelance, so it's the perfect environment if you really want to have a multifaceted career. I didn't pay her to say that, I no. swear. No, I, I would feel like going with a salon suite and... Look, I hate plugging you back. I, I didn't tell him to say that. He didn't. I didn't he tell did. him to say that. Actually, I didn't even invite him. Yeah, I don't even did. know what he's doing here. 
check out a salon suite before you commit to anything massively, all right? Uh, what should people be working on for 18? Experiences. The reason why clients choose you, why they tell their friends, why they share you on social. Uh, what about new trends? This guy's always on the new trends. So for 18, what do you think? What kind of new trends are you looking at or what techniques you're trying to perfect? Um, I think with uh, cutting the new trends, I would feel like you're doing, um, you know, still just a lot of different types of fades. I think a lot more guys are being more um, open with doing a little bit more um, creative type stuff. So more fringe different types of fades like around the head um, using the shapes and just accentuating that. I just love like using every color of the rainbow so that's really what I'm gonna do. Yes. Some of the starburst pink lemonade sort of vivids like peaches a lot of that stuff. I'm following all the other people that work at Salon Republic they are the trendsetters. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, we're going to still see a lot of creative color. We're going to see a lot of color fusion, you know, marrying all these beautiful lived-in tones with some beautiful sort of pastel shades. So we're going to see that. We're going to continue to see textured cuts. Hopefully we see more texture, more curls, because that's fabulous. So, you know, just beautiful hair. One more question. The curly mullet trending up or down for 18? Up. Up. Stranger Things. You cannot deny that I, curly I stopped mullet. watching Stranger Things. Oh no, you need to get back on it. I don't I'm not a fan of the curly mullet. No? So, no. What about no. the straight mullet? I, I can I can get down with the straight mullet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> can it be a wavy mullet? Like like a beach waved mullet? Maybe. It's gotta be the right haircut. It's gotta be edgy. Uh, curly mullet trending up or down for eighteen? Down. No, not a straight mitt. <laughs> down? Okay, what about a straight mullet? I'm always into a straight mullet. Okay, so straight mullet up, curly mullet down. Yeah. Got it. The mullets are definitely coming back. Uh, the, no, no. Specifically the curly mullet. Curly mullet, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going, that's what I'm going towards. That's what I'm growing mine out to be. Okay. So uh, I think if it keeps going, I post enough about it, I think it's going to hit. <laughs> Got it. You heard it right here first. Hope you guys like that highlight episode. Let us know what you think about it because it's something new that we're doing. We always want to know what the feedback is. So DM us on Salon Republic's Instagram or Salon Republic's Facebook or my Instagram, which is the number four, Eric with a C, Taylor, and let us know. Always rate us, rate us, please, if you like the show or even if you didn't like the show, you can still rate us. Give us a one. I don't think anyone's given us a one. No, I don't think that's possible, but hey, we'll, we'll take Why it. Why not? We'll take it. I don't expect to be liked by everyone. <laughs> okay, so next week, we're going to have Wes Does Hair. And uh, Wes Does Hair is a Houston hairdresser. He's Wes Does Hair on Instagram. He is next week. See you then.